You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 65. Can you believe it, Bob? 65. It's the 65th episode of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob, and I can't believe we're at 65. So welcome to the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today joining us is Linda Hazan. Linda is the Director of Communications, Programming, and Customer Engagement Department at the Toronto Public Library. She is going to speak to us today about patron access to technology, uh, the Toronto Smart Cities program, along with the brand called, quote unquote, library. Thanks for joining us today, Linda. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, so before we dig into these great topics, let's learn about Linda. So, Linda, give us a feel for what you did before you came to library land. So I've been in library land for 13 years, and before that, I spent uh, 20 plus years uh, uh, doing marketing and product management in high-tech startups here in Toronto. Wow. So uh, was Toronto your first library job? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm born and raised in Toronto, so um, all the work I've done has been out of Toronto. Well, that's great. Makes it, it makes it easier for a commute, right? Sorry, you broke up. Oh, I said, it makes it easier for a commute, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Bob. How'd you break up over there? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to give you a little bit of a plug, right? Is everything okay with the Wi-Fi over there? <laughs> yeah, very nice. <laughs> All right. So, so Linda, what was your attraction to marketing? Um, well, uh, I'd say I've always been interested in communications and the written word and marketing is a really creative kind of, uh, job to be able to do. And in the library world, it's actually an incredibly creative job. So, um, uh, it's a really great mix of all the different things that I like to do. And isn't it interesting too, that, um, you know, as libraries have progressed, marketing has become a bigger part of what we do as well. Absolutely. Um, when I was brought on, I was actually surprised at how much um, appreciation there was for the the role that marketing plays and the value um, that it can really bring to the library. So it's been uh, it's been great for me coming here for for that reason. Yeah, I know that um, just in, just with regard to newsletters alone. Um, there's so much with regard to, um, you know, that editing process and the creative process of trying to make the, the newsletter look appealing to the user. And, and marketing is such a big part of that. Yeah, it's also, you know, it's a strategic job as well. Um, understanding, um, you know, what, what the value is that you're trying to communicate um, and all the different ways that you can uh, reach the people that you're trying to reach. It's it's much more than just the execution. It's also um, the strategy that I find really interesting and compelling. Okay, that's great. So what, what we're going to do is take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to 
talked to, to Linda about Toronto Public Library's role in smart cities and about that, that brand called Library. So we'll be back in just a moment. And we are back with Linda Hazan from Toronto Public Library. So when we talk about the brand library, and I'm putting my air quotes up, uh, we're going to talk about that later. But in short, libraries have changed so much that, you know, and digital literacy has become such a big part of what we do, whether it's informing, you know, our public about the digital services we offer or helping them with their own digital life, you know, with devices that they have in their pocket or maybe a tablet or something like that. Um, we we kind of help them to determine or to help make their lives easier with these devices. So tell us about what Toronto Public Library's approaches to digital inclusion. Um, well, I, I really agree that it's become a, a core service for libraries now, digital inclusion and digital literacy. Um, you know, since the advent of the internet, it's been obviously core to what we've been doing, but we've actually made it a um, one of our core strategic pillars in what, in what we deliver. And in fact, in our strategic plan, um, which we've called access opportunity and connections, digital um, and the way we deliver on technology is core throughout it. And so um, if you think about access opportunity and connections, um, technology and digital disruption really touch every aspect of our lives, whether it's economic or educational, social, health, civic, whatever it is. Um, and so our ability to bridge the digital divide to be able to deliver on access opportunity and connections is key. Um, and so, you know, I, we're kind of preaching to the converted here, but there, there's obviously the core services that we offer, the basic access like you talked about, which computers and Wi-Fi and that sort of thing. Um, but all of us now are really pushing more towards new and emerging um, with we we call them digital innovation hubs some people are calling them maker spaces you know with 3d printers and and arduino kits and those sorts of things um and then the whole side of um digital literacy we're we're very much focused on um, emerging technologies around that as well we're putting a focus on algorithmic literacy for example which is so key um for understanding our digital privacy but also understanding um how algorithms can help or hinder our access to information. Um, we're also focused a lot on um, workforce development and upskilling as it relates to technology, which is, which is really key. Um, and as I mentioned, data privacy. Um, and we're really focused on connecting what we do to the larger ecosystem within Toronto and within Ontario. Um, so whether it's, uh, groups that are doing open data or um, civic engagement around technology, uh, bringing in um, innovators and residents to help support what we're doing. It's really critical that the library becomes part of the broader technology ecosystem. So we're very much focused on that. And, and with that, um, partnerships have also been key for us to be able to deliver on these things. So we've been partnering with um, Google and Cisco, for example, around some of the digital literacy programs that we're offering, um, and also um, 
sponsorship, for example, from Google to be able to do Wi-Fi hotspot lending. So, so just like just like libraries all over North America, we've we've got a very broad um, service offering. I think the the, the challenge for many of us is. Um, incorporating that into our brand and making sure that people understand that that is a core service that libraries deliver and the value that we deliver to the communities that we serve, how critical it is with, with what we, uh, with what we deliver. Well, it's interesting too, because, you know, we talk about how there's this stereotype of what a library is perceived as versus what we do now. And so much of it is digital. Um, Just in terms of, you know, forget about databases and, and the services that we provide digitally that have been traditional, I want to say, quote unquote, traditional digital library services that have been around since the, the age of the, um, the CD-ROM towers. Um, yes. think, thinking in terms of that, and that sounds like 100 years ago, but really that hasn't even really reached the, the, um, the real ethos of what a library is. And it, it seems like we're always battling that old stereotype of what libraries were, but were for a very long time, which is just the books and, you know, the librarian shushing everybody at the desk and all that other stuff. Where now, um, so much of what we do is digital. Like you just, you mentioned four or five things that we're not even doing here yet. Uh, but you have to, you know, be, be considering, you know, all the different options and things like Wi-Fi hotspots, like you were talking about before. And this, this morning we had a meeting about lending Chromebooks out, you know, for patrons to take out of the building to take home with them. Just it, helping people who may not have the access, getting them the access. And um, for the people who do have the access to help them have a better experience and maybe even providing services like the video streaming services here are very popular, like Hoopla and Canopy and, and stuff like that. And even circulating um, devices like we have, um, we have what? What are they? Um, we we have uh, Netflix on Roku sticks that we circulate to patrons. So you know these are services that, even though we you know we market the heck out of them, we still get people coming up and saying, "Oh, you have that? How does that work?" So it's almost like it's a constant hard sell to patrons sometimes. Yeah, the other thing I'll say is, and and you raise it, it, you made me think of it when you said, you know, people coming up and saying, you have that, how do you use it? One of the things that we've found is um, it's an important transformation of our service um, in terms of what staff supports need, uh, what 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 our staff need in terms of supports, um, whether that's, you know, obviously training, but also uh, changing their expectations in terms of what skill sets uh, they should be having as a librarian. We actually have a program called uh, Role of the Librarian, which speaks to the transformation um, that uh, that library staff are undergoing. And so we don't think twice if somebody comes up and asks us a question about, uh, I don't know, uh, business copyrights. Uh, we don't think that we need to know the answer, but we know that we need to be able to find it for them. But if somebody comes up and says, I don't understand how to how to load an ebook on my iPad, there's a sense that, well, maybe this shouldn't be my job. I'm not tech support. But in fact, what you're doing is you are helping somebody get access to content and information. And so it's just an extension of your job. So we've been spending a lot of time um, and resource working with staff to develop 
um, programs and, and that will help them transform the jobs that they're doing uh, and give them the, the tools and the comfort that they'll need to be able to do that with 21st century library service. Okay, Bob. So Linda, tell us a little bit more about the, the City of Toronto Smart Cities Challenge. So um, Toronto Public Library actually got involved with um, the Toronto Smart Cities Initiative uh, back in 2016. We were asked to join uh, Toronto's Smart City Working Group, which is a group of about, it's about 35 organizations now that are um, from private and public sector, act, academia, there's developers, there's a, there's a broad range of organizations. Um, uh, we were lucky enough to be able to be at the table uh, at the inception of that. And the, the focus of the um, Smart Cities Working Group is to really help um, be both a sounding board for ideas that are generated and also help to, um, to to generate ideas and help develop a strategy for the city around uh, smart cities. So uh, the Smart Cities Working Group, uh, we've done three um, summits uh, where we've brought um, organizations and thinkers from across uh, our region to talk about smart cities and what the potential is for Toronto. Um, and, and there's been a variety of different activities that have, that have happened. But what really brought it together was um, uh, last year, I think it was, the, um, the federal government uh, issued a Smart Cities Challenge for the country. And these are similar to what other countries have done. Um, I, I know that the, the U.S. has had this and, and um, I think it was Columbus that won uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, the focus was on, um, uh, you know, creating smart city solutions that are going to solve problems for uh, Canada's citizens. And we were very lucky that we were brought to the table very early on this. Uh, and we worked with the City of Toronto to help develop their smart city strategy. And what was very interesting about our engagement in this is we really helped to bring a focus about smart cities uh, with smart cities uh, for it to be about um, solving people's problems and ensuring that smart cities include smart citizens where everyone's included. So when we were doing ideation sessions and people were waving around their smartphones and saying, oh, well, we could do this or we could do that, you know, the library is raising their hand and say, you know, not everybody has a smartphone. And if they do, not everybody has access to the internet, nor do they necessarily have the skills or the comfort to be able to uh, use the technologies that you're thinking of developing. And so we were the voice at the table that spoke to, um, you know, that idea of access and opportunity. And in the end, we ended up being one of the core pillars in Toronto's uh, Smart Cities Challenge bid that we were leading uh, digital inclusion and digital literacy for Toronto as part of their bid. Well, it sounds like you with this challenge you're actually it's almost forcing you to engage to solve problems in, in the cities in your city absolutely and in fact it gave us the opportunity to position the library well beyond just you know the you know you were speaking to people understanding the real value that we deliver um and not thinking about it just in terms of 
in terms of books. And so uh, our city librarian was on the stage at the summit along with other technology uh, and business leaders talking about how critical digital inclusion and digital literacy is and the role that the library plays uh, in that. Um, and, you know, she told the story of uh, when we were closing the branch at 830 at night and the kids who were doing their homework were begging us not to close because they, they needed the access to the internet in order to complete their, uh, their homework. And, you know, we keep our Wi-Fi on 24 seven. And so when they left and the library was closed, they were sitting outside huddled around the library to be able to finish their, uh, their homework. Now we hear these stories, we know these, we see these people every day, but the audience that was there had no idea that, that this kind of di digital divide um, exists and how critical access to the internet is every single day for, do, for doing everything that we do, whether it's how do I get to work in the morning or how do I find cheaper prices for food or how do I access healthcare online or how do I, apply for a job. These are things that you can't do anymore without access and without digital literacy. And for those who have it, they don't understand where that gap is. And so it was a real eye opener. And for them to understand the value, the core value that libraries deliver in this area has really positioned Toronto Public Library, and I believe this is true for any library, um, as, as key to the the financial and social and, and um, health success of, of any city or any community. Well, it's, um, it sounds like you've, have you tackled more than just, like, how, many, how many things have you done as part of this challenge? Is it just, did you focus on one particular area or one particular thing, or has it kind of been like that drop of ink on a paper towel or it has spread out and, and turned into something bigger? That's very interesting because when we were initially um, engaged with the city around smart, the Smart Cities Challenge, it was actually in a traditional role of um, providing um, uh, outreach and engagement and community consultation because it was a big component of, of how they needed to form their bid. And then we had a transformation office that's who focused on developing the bid, our chief transformation um, office. And they saw the incredible value of the library's community hub for engagement. And so then when our resilience office was developing their strategy, they said, hey, you guys know what you're doing around this. Um, you can reach into communities in authentic ways that, that nobody else in the city really can. Can you help us with this? And then when the city was developing um, its inaugural uh, digital literacy day, they realized, well, hey, we have a hundred branches in a hundred communities doing digital literacy day every day. Um, and so we need to partner with you guys to be able to get uh, the reach and be able to develop the partnerships to deliver on that. And then we got invited to speak at uh, technology conferences and Vickery, our city librarian was one of only three officials in Toronto that was invited to Barcelona to speak at the World Smart Cities uh, Conference. And she was the only librarian there. So, so this 
um, uh, being able to tell the larger narrative of the role that libraries play for digital inclusion and digital literacy has really um, expanded the opportunities for the library to deliver value in a lot of different ways and create really, really valuable partnerships. The other thing that it's done, we've been able to tell the story that um, digital inclusion and digital literacy is actually core to, uh, we have a poverty reduction strategy in Toronto. And so we've been saying, if you invest in the infrastructure that's already there, which is the library, um, and you, you increase our open hours, you're actually increasing access to, um, you know, to computers and to technology and to learning and to workforce development and to all of these things that you need to help pull people out of poverty. And so we were very successful for three years in a row of getting additional funding from the city for, for training, for Wi-Fi hotspot lending, and for more open hours. So we've been able to tie it to the broader success of the city and the broader strategies that the city has. That's amazing, isn't it, Bob? I think it's great that, you know what, that the city of, of Toronto actually, you know, honed in on your personal relationship with the patron and that you you folks were the connection, you know, to the to the patron. I think that's that's smart, you know, for them to notice that. Well, it's also interesting too when you were talking about um, a poverty prevention. It there have been studies and don't don't quote me, I don't know exactly where I read the study. I read it I read something about it about a month ago where they're now drawing a direct correlation between digital illiteracy and poverty and and the ability the, the lack of an ability because of a lack of digital understanding to kind of fix that not fix the problem but be able to help people to get out of poverty and i think libraries do a great job of helping people with that absolutely and you know one of the things that you know was a bit of an education process for me as we were doing our smart cities challenge because we were focused on on uh, our challenge was to, to raise children out of poverty. And poverty is really, you know, low income is only one part of it. It's, it's housing and it's food and it's transportation and the role that technology plays in enabling these kinds of things for people. You know, when we were doing our hotspot lending program, we asked the people, um, so the way our hotspot lending program works is they can uh, borrow it for six months and then and they have unlimited access and wow. then and then we bring it back we take it back and we did a cert we did surveys of asking the people so what's the impact of um you know having it and what's the impact of losing it and one of the 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 single moms said to us my food bill's going to go up because what i do at night when i get home from work is i go online and i look where uh the 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 food prices are going to be the lowest and that's how I plan my shopping. And I can't do that um, now if I don't have access at home. So there's a direct correlation between having internet access and your, uh, you know, your financial well-being, and, you know, ability to feed your kids. That's really fascinating yeah. because it, and it, it is interesting. There are certain things that I, you know, we take for granted is, is, access to the internet and all of the things that uh, that provide that so you know we are kind of um, spoiled when it comes to that when we have access to it you know in our in our pants pocket with our phones or at home with our PCs or our Macs or whatever we use to connect to the internet and just to think that 
you know, there are people out there who don't have access to that. Um, it, it, it's truly mind-blowing. One thing that, um, it, to, to flip it to the other side, where we're going from an, an urban environment like Toronto, we could talk about a, an extremely rural environment like the northern Adirondacks or the north country of upstate New York, where there are still places where they don't have high-speed digital um, access or, or internet access because for whatever reason, whether it's regulation because of the park or access because you know there's there's no city that has you know that's adjacent to it that can supply the uh, the infrastructure for it and the idea in here we are in 2019 that there are still places that don't have that internet access still is, is kind of like a mind-blowing moment and when you see that people like within the city of Toronto or even let's say in Brooklyn or Manhattan or Boston or any other large city there are people out there that can't afford to have that access. And I think what you were saying, you know, providing those hotspots, which, by the way, six months, that's amazing. That's uh, great. Yeah. We, we do four, I think we do 14 days here. Um, but oh, to, wow. to have six months with that, um, with that access, um, that, that, that really is amazing. What, so just as an aside, after the six months, they, give, they get it back. They give it back. How long before they can take it out again? Uh, I don't know if we've put in uh, rules around whether or not you can. I mean, we have a thousand hotspots and that we can lend out at a time. And we work with local agencies to identify um, people who can benefit the most from using it. So it's not like it's just open and you can like place a hold on it because the demand would be too high. So, mm-hmm. um, So I would imagine that we don't allow repeats right away anyway. Right. Well, you know, this this is a, a great time to, to actually launch into the next question because I think it's a good transition um, to tell us about the Bridge Technology Services Assessment Toolkit and how that model fits at Toronto. Yeah, and it's, it'll speak to some of the statistics, some of the uh, information that we got from it. So um, toolkit, started as uh, we got some funding from the province of Ontario um, to do a two-year project that was basically to develop a suite of resources that would help libraries measure the value of the technology services that they provide to the public, that we provide to the public. And it also allows us to benchmark um, results of um, against other libraries as well. So you can see uh, what we think are sort of the, the best practices and what should be, um, uh, you know, basic levels of service that we should be offering. So what's really, I think, unique about this toolkit, or not unique, but uh, but um, innovative, I guess, is that it's really focused on measuring outcomes and measuring value, not just performance indicators. So it's not just measuring like how many people use the Wi-Fi or are taking a computer course, um, but it, it's also measuring the impact and outcomes that are resulting from that use. So did you get a job when you took that course? Were you more comfortable using the technology um, and are you more likely to use it again? So it's really um, valuable for us to be able to, um, first of all, communicate out and advocate for the services that we're offering that you can see that direct line to from 
uh, the service that we're offering to the outcomes that and the impacts that that we're delivering on. Um, it's also very useful for libraries to understand what services should we be um, offering, um, not just within our communities, but also uh, you know what other libraries are offering and what kinds of impacts they're having there. Um, the our, the pilot, and you mentioned this about um, different different libraries serving different sizes of communities. So our pilot had eight libraries, um, and that included. Um, rural libraries, small ones, uh, uh, libraries uh, serving indigenous communities. So we wanted to get a broad range so that the toolkit could, um, could, could serve all different uh, sizes of libraries and different constituents. So when we did the pilot, uh, the initial um, of it were actually quite staggering for us. We had known that the statistics that we had had before in Toronto, in terms of um, how we serve the residents of Toronto, we knew that around 30% of uh, residents in Toronto didn't have internet access. But when we did this study, um, we found that 56% of the people in Ontario who used the library to access technology had no other access to technology except through the library. That was their only, uh, their only access point. And of that, 46% of those, uh, it was their sole source of um, internet access. Wow, so that's amazing. That's, that's like mind blowing. <laughs> uh, so, it's, so we know we have these impacts, but um, we, we really had the data behind it. We also got, um, we got statistics about, uh, you know, how it helped connect people to their communities. Um, we had the, the, the outcome, um, just referencing my notes here, the, um, the outcome measures that we had, we had primary outcome measures like digital inclusion and digital literacy, like those ones that I was talking about. And then our secondary outcomes were around things like uh, community, social and civic engagement and, um, you know, using technology for creativity and innovation for entrepreneurship and business development and for workforce development. So we ask questions like, um, you know, were you able to uh, develop creative uh, products and were you able to um, upskill in order to get to get a job and were you able to use technology to build your small business? Um, so it's a really robust tool uh, that libraries can use uh, to really understand what kind of technology they need to be offering and what kind of value that that technology is delivering. Linda, how were those analytics gathered? Like, did you, um, and forgive me if you went over this, but did you give out a form with the devices and how did that? So the technology toolkit is, um, is a web-based um, toolkit that okay. has um, surveys and uh, there's, you can, um, take inventory and capture the inventory of what you have. And it also, the surveys are customer facing as well as staff facing. So you can get um, input on how, uh, what kinds of services your staff offer and how comfortable and capable they are um, to be delivering those. Because obviously your staff are one of your resources in being able to deliver 
uh, technology. So, um, so it's a it's a survey based environment, and then you can the, the way the libraries did it, they did it a, a number of different ways. They did promotional outreach where like you could hand someone a postcard and say, please fill this out. Um, some libraries uh, actually approached um, patrons and asked them questions, which was actually very good for raising awareness with patrons of, of what technology was available as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a variety of different uh, tactics that the libraries used in order to capture the data, but they used the tools, the toolkit that we provided. That's pretty neat. It That's really pretty is. Nice. Yeah. You know, Linda, you had, you had said something about um, the small business people who, um, mm -hmm. who take advantage of the library services. Um, I'm just trying to think of the way, right way to say it. Do you see – what types – I mean, obviously, the small businesses, but do you, can you speak to the types of businesses that, you, that the library has helped and how specifically – um, the library has helped them with regard to maybe it's, you know, making laptops available or giving them access in the building to getting access to, I don't know, data research or whatever. Mm -hmm. We we actually, um, a, a couple of years ago, we repackaged our um, services to our small business to try and make it um, what we offer, the broad range of what we offer far more visible and and that includes our spaces, our programs, our staff supports, um, certainly technology, and of course our collections. So a broad range of um, what we offer because people didn't really understand. They might come from program but not understand everything that could be offered. So certainly we have a lot of small businesses, as as many libraries do. Um, that uh, that we offer actually workspace to and meeting space to, and that's huge, especially when it's integrated with the technology supports that we offer. Whether, as you say, it's laptop lending or you know Wi-Fi con connectivity, a lot of our um, small businesses in the creative sector use our digital innovation hubs for um, the higher end um, design services that we offer people doing podcasting um, and filming for um, promotion. We have uh, programs around how to use social media uh, to further marketing. Um, so a broad range of different ways that we bring um, staff expertise, technology, uh, you know, business resources, those sorts of things together. So we also have innovator in residence. Um, that, that can, from, from the community, that can come in and offer workshops around these things. And we actually have an entrepreneur in residence who comes in and is focused on supporting um, small businesses and looking over business plans and advising um, that way. It sounds like you do a lot for small businesses, which is great. Do you, are you involved with, like, let's say, the Chambers of Commerce um, or maybe some of the, the philanthropic organizations like Kiwanis or or uh, groups like that? Um, we do have, uh, we have a, a foundation. So we work closely with them to help bring on partners that make sense, that can help support what we do. Um, for example, working with LinkedIn or um, uh, some of the consulting companies like 
Deloitte like to sponsor these kinds of programs, particularly as they're focused towards the young people. Um, uh, but um, we also work very closely with our city um, departments. So um, economic development, um, workforce development, we have um, um, a, a division called employment and social services. We actually embed a librarian in their offices. So we call them community librarians and they support those people who are, um, you know, uh, looking for work or building businesses um, right in the community. So we do, we do things that way as well. That is amazing stuff. Yeah. So I guess switching gears a little bit to uh, marketing and branding, which is um, something that Chris and I talk quite a bit about on the uh, podcast. So not that long ago, we had on two librarians, Laura Lintz and Jen Barth from Henrietta Library, uh, just south of Rochester, New York. And we talked about branding your library, but taking what they talked about and moving one step further, uh, let's talk about the brand. Uh, and here's your air quotes, Chris, quote unquote, library, right? <laughs> um, as we've talked about on this podcast so many times, the perception of what a library is versus what we really do has changed. So tell us what your take is on that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I call it small L library. So we talk about branding Toronto Public Library and we've actually just gone through a whole uh, rebrand process um, so that our brand can evolve along with how the library has been evolving and transforming. And that's been, that's been a great experience. But in the process of developing the brand, we actually came up with the brand framework that, that really, the way I talk about it is, it speaks to who we are, what we do, and why we matter. That's the way I think about brand and how we're describing it. And the brand framework that, that we've developed, I believe actually applies to all libraries because it is the core value of what libraries offer. And so, and I'm happy to share that with anybody and everybody who wants it. We can um, post it somewhere if you want. Um, but really it's getting down to the core of um, what is our value proposition? Because we tend to be, or we can be, all things to all people all the time. And we really do struggle with being able to articulate what is the, the core value? Why the library? How do we carve out what our sweet spot is vis-a-vis -vis what, what others offer within our uh, within the ecosystem that, that we work within. And so we've encapsulated that value proposition sort of in a, in a couple of different ways. The first is four words, read, learn, create, and connect. And when we talk about read, we don't mean just like literacy and access to books, that's important. But really the library is about fostering a lifelong love of reading. And when you think about what institutions do that there really aren't ones that are you know committed in their mission to be doing that when you talk about learn we certainly support formal learning but we're not about formal learning we're about um self-directed lifelong uh learning opportunities and so really again if you think about an institution that offers learning in that way there really there really isn't one and then you look at create. We are we are cultural institutions, absolutely, and you know we provide access to culture, um, but we're also about um, co-creation and collaboration and innovation, and that is also core to 
uh, to what we do. And then when you think about connect, connect is about how we connect those who we serve to, to those opportunities and to those, um, you know, to that value. But we are also connectors. We connect people to their communities, to each other, um, you know, uh, in, in the case of Toronto, like to the city. We are inherently, that's part of our mission to be a connector. Um, so, so we look at those four words as, as part of our core value proposition. And then when you combine it with, with unique value um, uh, attributes that are true to all libraries, like we are accessible, we are free and local, um, and the goal is that everybody can participate. We're inclusive, it's a welcoming and supportive environment. We're expert, we, uh, we have knowledgeable staff who offer um, you know, curated, trusted, um, you know, credible information, neutral, and then we're flexible. You use us as you like, um, you know, self-directed in a personalized way. So when you combine the, the read, learn, create, connect with these, you know, unique value propositions of what the library is, you're really creating that, um, value proposition that no other institution can offer. So if you look at read, you know, bookstores obviously offer access to books, but we offer it, you know, for free, locally, easily accessible at different levels for different people um, with, you know, expertly curated that you can access when and how you need. Same with learning. It's, you know, experiential, self-directed, um, collaborative, um, variety of different ways that you can learn again for free you know online in branch you know different ways uh for everybody this is really how um the library uniquely serves its constituents and so that's a really important um it's a really important framework to think about when you're thinking about so what should we be doing and what shouldn't we be doing and then we think about the what we do, um, we've divided it sort of into five service pillars, spaces, collections, programs, staff, and technology. And when you think about, as I was talking to you about, for example, our small business services, if you look at how we deliver those services across those five service pillars, it's going to be for different constituents, there'll be different value for our spaces. Uh, the small business owner is going to use our spaces differently than the child is going to use it, than the senior is going to use it. But it is a core service pillar. Same with collections, programs, staff, and technology. And we all offer that, um, again, within that um, uh, brand proposition that, that, that I talked about. Um, and then we look at how we deliver it. So we deliver it across multiple channels. And we've just, so whether it's um, branches within the community, um, across a broad range of digital channels, whether that's email or social, through the web, internet, mobile, and whatever the next thing's gonna be, whether it's you know Google Home and Alexa, or who knows, a chip implanted in our brains. So, um, so we look at how we deliver all of that value through those channels, and then we've built out the concept of a customer experience, the, the how we expect our customers 
to experience our brand. And, and I know those, uh, those ladies that you spoke to talked a lot about that, that brand is really about, um, how people experience you. And we know that from, you know, if you have a really great experience, that's your perception of that brand. And if you have a really crappy, uh, experience, um, sorry, that's my phone going, <laughs> um, uh, then that's how you perceive the brand as well. So, so we've built the customer experience into our brand framework um, because it really is about who we are, what we do, why we matter, and how we do it is a really critical part of the brand as well. That really is a lot of food for thought, the five service pillars. <laughs> I, I never really thought of it in terms of that before, but you've consolidated it down to those five pillars. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I was certainly jotting, jotting down a whole bunch of notes because I could see how it, it – it makes something that is kind of hard to congeal into something tangible, um, into something simple. You, you break it down into those five pillars, so then you can, you know, really analyze what what you do in the library um, and break it down that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's beautiful in its simplicity, yet it's complex enough to allow you to develop each pillar. Yes. That that really yeah. is a great. Um, great way to describe it to describe library service and how we can better manage it too well exactly and one of i think one of our challenges is it's i well it is here anyway i'm i think it's for a lot of libraries it's hard to say no because it feels like everything fits <laughs> but yeah. i often ask it because i'm in marketing when people come and you know they say can you please help promote this or help us tell the story and i always ask the question to help me uh, with my messaging, I always ask why the library? Why is it, why us? What's our value proposition in this so that I can help position it and make it relevant? And sometimes people can't always answer that question because it doesn't actually need to be the library. We're, we may be a secondary support and not the ones that should be delivering it or whatever. So it's a, it's a good framework. I know they, they spoke a lot about the why as well, same idea. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where you get to understand your unique value proposition, what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And it also feeds into the culture of yes, which is the start, you know, start with why. Um, yeah. with, with these five pillars clearly outlined, it helps to further define the culture of yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it and it's so much easier to say yes than it is to say no. Obviously, with, with whatever caveats or, or limitations that you're going to have. Um, but it's, and I have said this a hundred times on the podcast, um, we're the only government type agency that's not, I mean, other than property tax collection, uh, at least for when, that's how we're funded here in, uh, in New York. Um, that's the only time we're going to ask you to reach into your pocket. Everything for the most part that, that you can get access to here is free of charge. Now, you have to obviously follow the rules and bring stuff back and, and do all that other stuff because it's part of the, you know, it's the, the part of the, the community of library. But the idea that you can walk into this building and use a study room or take out a laptop or access the Internet or look into a book. Or if you don't, we don't have the book, we could try to get it from another place or order it brand new. Or in the case of here at Sachem, get a cup of coffee or record a podcast, or do some 3D printing, or web, or some type of web design, you know, or you want to sit in the Game of Thrones throne, so we break out the green screen. So there's all these different things that you can do, 
and that's just the tip of the iceberg, and it's all free. You know, people should be here. We should have a, a, a crowd control problem. Yeah. And well, we, we sometimes do. We have people sitting on the floor because all the chairs are used, and people don't think that the libraries are that, you know, that busy. Um, but because they don't think, because they don't understand everything that we offer and all the different ways that people use us. Right. The other thing is libraries are like, at least in our community, they're one of the last, um, you know, safe public spaces, welcoming public spaces in the city. You know, there aren't a lot of places you can go and just be. That's true. Without getting charged a fee or having to pay for Wi-Fi access or, yep. or having some kind of quid pro quo where you can use a space for something for, because you have to do this first. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're a, a young person, uh, if you're, you know, marginalized, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of places where you're not welcome to just be and you aren't the library. That's so true. Right. Yeah. So Linda, we want to thank you so much for coming, coming for actually appearing with us today because <laughs> it's kind of hard to you know jump in through the wire from Toronto to New York. Um, mm -hmm. But we want to thank you so much for coming and talking about all these great initiatives that Toronto's doing. Um, I, I find it personally inspiring, um, and I'm sure Bob, you feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, this is some, I, I love the five pillars and my the script that I say we never use is is loaded with tons of notes and. Um, we will put a whole bunch of this stuff on our website as well, um, yeah. talking about all the different things that we talked about today. Um, so it was great to see, you know, the approach and focus doesn't change between a small rural library and, and an urban library as yours is. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's service to the patrons. It's the goal uh, yeah. for, for everyone, for no matter where you are in library land, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, that patron service. So it's fun to see how... Uh, the big libraries, the middle-sized libraries, and the small libraries all do the same thing with their own special flavor. So thank you for sharing that and for sharing all the amazing things that you're doing over there in Toronto. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to ask Linda our top 10 library questions, or what we call the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And we always give thanks to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions. So although, um, Linda, you don't sit on a service desk traditionally as like a librarian would, we'll still have a fun some fun with the questions because it's the same questions that we ask all of our guests and yep. hopefully we'll have some fun with it. So we'll be back in just a moment. are back with Laura Hazan. Let me correct me if I'm wrong again. No, she says it with a New York accent. Hazan. Oh, you put Laura. You put Laura. Ah, oh, Laura. It's Linda. I'm changing it. We're back with Linda Hazan, right? Is that right? Yes, Linda Hazan. Good job, Perfect. Chris. Great we'll editing. He'll be our next participant in our 032 list. The questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. And visit their site because they educate and inform the library land on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. See, that's what happens when you have a dyslexic um, editing the script. 
at least it was an L, right? It, at least it's and that's what got me. Okay. Okay. We're back with Karen. Karen has on. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that's my sister's name. Oh, there you go. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so remember, we're not going to hold you to the answers, but this is a fun list that we like to ask all our um, our victims, or as we call them, guests. Um, and we, we'll, we'll tinker with some of this to, to make it work. So the first question is, what did you want to be when you were a child? So kind of boring and predictable, but uh, I imagined myself as a writer. Um, I used to assemble books when I was like three years old. My mom would get yarn and staple whatever I drew and put the whole thing together. Um, I did a project, I think it was in grade three on Shakespeare and the whole thing was rhyming. And it took me like six months to write this thing. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll be a poet or a novelist or some sort of writer, but I write, but not that kind of writing, so. Maybe someday, right, in the future. <laughs> so what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? So I don't have the memory of who brought me, but it's got to have been my parents because my memory is of myself and my three siblings. So the four of us being brought, it's sort of one of those vague memories of you have a sense of the space. And I remember, you know, a vibrant carpet and a curved um, reading bench and our our, my my siblings and I being allowed to just be and to roam and there was no um, there was a sense of freedom and that we could just choose the books we wanted be in the space that we wanted to be and there wasn't a lot of uh, constraints so that, those are kind of the, uh, the the sensory memories that I have of that so when did you decide to work in a library when did you make that choice and Obviously, it wasn't your first career path, obviously, because you were in marketing. Um, right. So this was kind of like a second career for you, right? Yeah, yeah. I was in uh, I was in startups for 20 years, and there were like startups in emerging markets and technology. And it was, especially in Canada, there's a lot of volatility in that. You're, you know, a lot of ups and downs. And uh, I was getting a little tired of it and I thought, well, I'd like to do something different. And I either like to take my skill set that I have into a completely different uh, industry or network, or I'd like to do something completely different where I am. So I explored those two paths and I got a call one day from a, you know, from a headhunter who said, you know, the library is looking for someone to do marketing. And I thought, library? marketing huh. and i thought of you know the toronto public library as my local branch and i thought what is what am i going to do like you know there's not a lot there and then when i arrived and started talking there were like four interviews i think that i did the more i learned about the library and particularly about toronto public library the more i fell in love with it and i realized the complexity and the the, the range that particularly that Toronto Public Library does. I mean, we had, you know, 18 million visits and 33 million CERCs and, you know, just the, the, the hundred branches and the, all the different ways we serve, whether it's, you know, education or culture or business or in the politics and everything. So it was a fascinating job and I was completely hooked. It sounds like you fell victim to the same um, stereotypes 
that most people who don't come to libraries kind of feel? Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I, I always talk about doing an advertising campaign that's like, who knew? Who knew that we had that? <laughs> that's right? great. Who knew? There's so, a new slogan. Who knew? That's right. <laughs> so uh, who was your favorite fictional librarian? So I reworded this to be name a fictional librarian because I didn't, I don't go in with a favorite. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Giles came to mind because my daughter loves Buffy. Um, but the other one that came to mind was from a book um, that I loved, Stones from the River um, by Ursula Heggie. And one of the, the main character, Trudy, her father's a librarian of a pay library in a small village um, in Germany. And I don't know, I, when you mentioned a fictional librarian, that that book came to mind and how much I loved it. So not so much the librarian, but what, what it brought to mind. And that's a first for us too. <laughs> so what would you be doing if you weren't working in the library? I mean, you said before you were in, you worked with startups and you were in marketing. So I'm assuming you would stay with marketing, right? You assume what, sorry? That you would stay with marketing? Uh, well, if I were going to switch gears and I didn't have to worry about making money, I would love to go and study law. That's what I would love to do. Not right. necessarily practice law, but I'd love to study it, and maybe teach it. I'd love to do that. That's right up your alley, Chris. Yeah, no, no kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a background. I used to work in, in the legal biz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... But I don't think I'll be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite section of the library? Is it the law section? <laughs> well, it was interesting. When I first thought of this question, I was thinking about spaces. Exactly. So that, and I that's how this question has transitioned to, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I immediately thought of reading gardens. We have some fabulous reading gardens in some of our branches. And uh, I love being outside whenever I can, you know, because we don't get a lot of outside time here in Toronto. Same with you guys in New York. So um, that would be my space in terms of section as in collection. Um, our special collections here are amazing. And when I first started at the library and they gave me a tour of our special collections and they said I could go in and just look at and be with these incredible uh, old and rare um, books and manuscripts and maps, and then the and then the librarians who bring them to life. I was like a kid in a candy store. I just love that. That's really cool. Yeah. So, if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? So, I thought about this in two ways: one, in very impractical, self-serving way, and one, like what would be good for our library. So. I have seen some incredible multi-tiered reading nooks in children's areas, and I think we should have that for adults. I think it would be great if we could, you know, climb up to a third-story reading nook and just settle in. So I would love that. Uh, I'm not sure about the health and safety implications of that. Um, but one of the... <laughs> I could just see people falling out. Anyway, um, one of the things we're actually looking at is creating an immersive digital playground on the top floor of one of our large research and reference libraries. So the idea would be that you have um, 
these data enabled interfaces, whether they're through touch screens or VR or, you know, imagine um, the floor of the library lit up with a map of Toronto and you bring school kids in and they can do um, problem solving or ideation around something to do with a neighborhood based on data that's generated from the city or from open data, uh, you know, about that neighborhood, or you create poetry collectively um, on a wall that's, you know, projecting it from your smartphone and you've got a group of people, you know, co-creating poetry on the fly on the wall projected or, you know, that kind of space. Um, we're looking at creating something like that, but what, what the challenge there is the, that infinite budget part of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it always, yeah. I'm just writing yeah. stuff down to, to steal ideas. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we never do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Linda, what do you love about your library? Um, there are a few things, uh, you know, I love how everybody makes the library their own. And I really do think this is kind of a unique thing. The, the places I see people sit and the way they just take over the spaces and feel that it is theirs. And when you don't deliver or you do deliver, the, the, the personal ownership of the library, I, I love. I love how you don't have to ask permission or even have to have a purpose to be there you can walk in and nobody asks like why are you here and what are you, you can... doing here yeah exactly i love especially being in marketing i love how appreciative people are of what we do every day and i i love how the library quietly and humbly changes lives every day wow that that's put that on a t-shirt yeah Wow. And it's funny how you, as you were describing how people kind of like carve out their space and make it their own, mm -hmm. you know, as I sit here, I'm looking at some of the other study rooms and I see people doing just that or people in yeah. the quiet study area who are out in, on the floor and they're doing just that. It becomes their own, almost like a, their own desk and people who come all Lost the time it. and they have the same setup all the time. And it's just so fascinating to see, you know, from a sociological standpoint, yeah. how they do that. So what is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Not necessarily the worst, but kind of the weirdest thing. Yeah. This, so, pod, this podcast, right? This podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's happening right now. Right now. So I don't spend that much time, you know, on the front lines, as you know. So I am going to give you an example that is related to marketing and PR. So we actually had... Uh, I think the weirdest thing was we had one of our books challenged and it was Pop on Pop by Dr. Seuss mm -hmm. because it promoted parental abuse. So that was weird. However, the media got wind of it and it went viral and it ended up that David Letterman did a top 10 list of, uh, what did he call it? Top 10 list of titles, other alternative titles by Dr. Seuss. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. You made a Letterman list? That's really not good. I know. So that was pretty crazy. 
See, now we all have to get a link. I'll have to put, put a link to that on the <laughs> on the uh, the show notes. Oh, there that's you go. funny. Wow. Yeah, that's funny. I'm just looking up. I'm just looking that up. That's all. All right. So who is your favorite <laughs> regular, quote unquote, regular patron? All right. So I don't get to know the patrons um, personally very often, but when I um, when I walk through the, the the library when I come to my office or or leave from my office, our our ground floor, our atrium has a whole bunch of tables, and we, as you might imagine, we have a very um, broad and diverse range of people that are there. We're right in the downtown of Toronto, and there are a few groups that I see each time, and I I love how they are there side by side every day, perfectly happy, claiming their spaces. There's, um, there's an ESL teacher and her student who I see on a regular basis. There are these two tattooed guys that play chess at the table next to them. And then uh, at the third table right beside is a homeless gentleman from a nearby shelter who sets up every day with his snacks and his reading material. Hmm. And, and these guys are just happy to be, you know, alone together in this space, uh, you know, studying, working, socializing. It just gives me a strange kind of comfort to see that every day. That's so neat. That, that, and that goes to the safe space, the open safe yeah. space. Yeah. Okay. So our That's last link. Yeah, exactly. So uh, here's our last question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Well, I think the, the first thing that came to mind for me is, you know, some of the most beautiful spaces in the city. Um, and some of our branches are in um, neighborhoods that don't have the same kind of investment and in infrastructure that you might find in other areas. But the library is really a beautiful oasis in that neighborhood and a real contribution to um, you know, the beauty and the culture of that neighborhood. And I think for people who don't know that it's there, they're really missing out on, on that space. Mm -hmm. And I think they're missing out on what, what we were just talking about, which is that idea of flexibility and unlimited you know, unfettered access to whatever you want and need. That's what I would say. And it's so true with everything that Toronto is doing. I mean, we all do it, but it seems like Toronto really, really hits the nail on the head. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, we want to thank you for being such a good sport and answering our list of questions because it was really fun, uh, you know, asking the questions and hearing your responses because we had some responses that we hadn't heard before. And uh, it's been great having you on the podcast. So thank you again for appearing on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun. This it's been was a pleasure. Fun. Very good. So, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this edition. Um, if you have any questions or comments on our show, visit our contact us section on our website uh, at thelibrarypros.com. We'll have links and, and possibly some photos and a whole bunch of great information about this particular episode on the site. And visit us on Twitter at the, at the Library Pros and on Facebook, doc, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend because 
word of mouth is really how people um, learn about us and how our listenership grows. And remember that the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and not those of the Sachem Public Library, where I'm from, and the MS Clark Memorial Library, where Bob is. So, we'll see you next time. The Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.